Hey, people of the interwebs, it's me, Brandon Noel. If this is your first time listening to the bookies, uh, this is uh, not a normal episode. It's an outlier. Uh, this would be your very special episode. Um, you know, but before we, we jump into that, th this whole episode is about censorship of books and censorship of ideas. And, and, and the banned book problem here in America and American education. Um, but before we dive into to that, uh, we have to talk about net neutrality because there's another form of censorship going on right now. And, and we record these, these episodes months in advance. Uh, so uh, unfortunately, in the, in the larger conversation, you're not going to hear anything about this. But... But the FCC has decided to basically revoke net neutrality. And what that is, is uh, during the, uh, the Obama administration, uh, there was a, a ruling passed down that the Internet is a Title II, um, uh, I'm, I'm screwing up the language here, but Title II resource, basically meaning that it, it put it in the same category as water, and uh, electricity that that providers couldn't mucky around with it and and couldn't ch uh, charge premiums and all that kind of stuff. Well, there the current head of the FCC is a former attorney for AT and T, and he's revoking this this legislation basically. Uh, what it looks like to, is to make AT&T AT &T, his former employees uh, employers uh, a huge amount of money and uh, despite the public outcry despite um, everyone saying that this will actually break the internet um, not metaphorically like Kim Kardashian but literally because what will happen is the companies will now have the right to uh, to throttle speeds, charge you extra for for oh you're watching YouTube. Well, you have to pay us extra for that. Or um, let's say uh, Comcast, who owns you know Hulu or whatnot. Oh, you want to go to Netflix? Well, maybe Netflix doesn't load. Um, maybe you're gonna have a, a buffering problem on Netflix. So maybe you want to come over to Hulu. And, and we're going to see a lot of that kind of shenanigans uh, moving forward. The FCC will vote on this December 14th. What you can do in the meantime is go to www.battleforthenet.com or www.callmycongress.com. It's very important that you at least let your, your representatives know that this is wrong. Um, this is wrong on so many levels. Thomas Jefferson said, and I'm paraphrasing, anyone who condemns a free press, is you're listening to the words of a tyrant. The FCC, th this is tyranny. Th this is the equivalent of taxation without representation. They're just going to vote on this without um, your voices even being heard on a ballot. So... So let them know that this is wrong, this is anti-American, this is anti-the very foundations of our country. Um, so once again, battleforthenet.com, 
and uh, callmycongress.com. And I, I, I know I have a tendency to get a little political from time to time, but I'm a small business owner, and without a free and open Internet, I'm done. Uh, seriously, you, you want to listen to these podcasts, you want to, to read my books, you, you want to you know, watch the, the YouTube videos, you don't have to pay anything, well, except for the books. But you don't have to pay anything, and I put that content out for free. But all of a sudden, if I have to start paying exorbitant fees just to maintain my website, I'm done. I, I, I don't make enough money off of this to keep this going. In fact, I pay uh, to keep this podcast running. Um, and, and if these FCC regulations get rolled back, um, uh, you know, I might have to close up shop. I'm just being very real with you guys. And, uh, I, you know, I can afford to do the podcast right now because the costs are fairly low. Um, but if, if you know, heaven forbid this goes through and, and they start charging Internet providers uh, basically uh, extortion fees, to, to maintain that people can actually get to your website, I'm probably just going to have to close up shop. I'm just being serious. Um, so, uh, so for the sake of all small business owners and and uh, and and yourself, uh, let your congressman know that this is wrong. Um, now, with that said, we're going to jump into the the episode proper. Uh, this episode is about banned books. Uh, this episode does carry a mature rating because the, we're going to talk about some some adult themes and some some books and 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 the way this episode uh, broke down is everyone chose a book on the banned books list to talk about. And if you go through and you actually look at what's banned, some of it's outrageous. In, in one Texas school district, they just banned To Kill a Mockingbird because uh, it makes people uneasy. Well, that's the point of the book, is to make you uneasy. It's to make you question um, basic authority figures in your life um, and uh, governmental authority figures. And I'm uncomfortable with the idea of censorship on any level. If, if we as a nation have any true value, it is in our Constitution, and the First Amendment is freedom of speech. So I, I don't agree with censorship on any level. Um, yes, there's content for children. Yes, there's content for adults. But that's not censorship, that's just categorizing. Um, and so, th this episode does dive into some, some, some darker material and, and heavier, heavy lifting subjects. Uh, I, unfortunately, wasn't there for the, the main discussion. As I mentioned earlier, we record these episodes uh, sometimes months in advance. And uh, the weekend that this was being recorded, my grandmother... Uh, passed away in Porterville and I had to go up to Northern California um, so that's why uh, you won't be hearing much from me about about this uh, uh, you know you won't be hearing much 
about me talking about banned books and literacy. Um, but you can look uh, uh, Google um, for more resources on banned books. You can go to bannedbooksweek.org. Uh, it's a great resource, and you can learn about some of the insanity that uh, is going on behind the scenes and why some of these books have been pooled. Um, and it's a shame because some of the books that I grew up reading, like Lord of the Flies, are on that banned books list. Uh, stuff that used to be um, required reading, like Animal Farm, banned. Um, because they hurt people's feelings. Well, I'm sorry if you're a critical thinking adult. Sometimes you need to have your core principles challenged. That's just how adulting works. Um, and so to, to go through life without ever having anything, your, your core principles challenged by literature or fiction, um, I don't know how to relate to that because I grew up in a world where um, my core principle beliefs were challenged regularly and it made those beliefs stronger. Uh, so uh, with that uh, said, um, this is the very special episode of Bookies. Uh, thank you for your time. Uh, please like and subscribe and uh, you know past this point there be spoilers I do. <laughs> in, in a special message written for the Franklin Library's limited edition of Slaughterhouse by Vonnegut writes the dress in atrocity uh, tremendously expensive and meticulously planned was so meaningless finally that only one person on the entire planet got any benefit from it I am that person. I wrote this book which earned a lot of money for me and made my reputation such as it is. In one way or another, I've gotten two to three dollars for every person killed. Some <laughs> business I'm in. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like that guy already. <laughs> so it goes. The book's melancholy frame appears in the text 106 times. <laughs> Oh, I mean, oh, it's only recording? Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, welcome to Bookie. Hey. Welcome to Bookie. Hello. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Here we go. Hello, constant listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Bookie's podcast. Our intrepid leader is currently off slaying a number of dragons that have besieged our fair town, and we wish him the best of luck. In his absence, I will endeavor to be as good a leader for the group as he usually is, and I will fail miserably, and you will like it. It's going to be great. <laughs> for this episode, uh, we have decided to read banned books. Ooh, I know, that's very scary. Bum, 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 bum. But first, let's go around and introduce ourselves. My name is Luis Lopez. I'm an author and a massive dork. Yay. I'm David McFarlane. I'm not a dork. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cut yourself short, Dave. <laughs> I'm Wade Abraham. I'm Justin Stallard. I'm Bonnie Stallard. I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> nerd. I'm, nerd. Yeah. I'm Millie Noel, and I'm married to the biggest nerd, who, again, is not here to defend himself. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. That's fun. <laughs> So, we have chosen banned books. We have all picked a different book uh, in the interest of variety. 
And uh, let's go around and talk for a little bit about our books. And then towards the middle section of the podcast, we'll get into deeper details about what we thought about the books. If we liked them, if we didn't like them, uh, should they have been banned? <laughs> it's going to be a good discussion. Um, let's start with you, Maylene. Well, my book I chose because, I, for the sheer irony of it, I chose Fahrenheit 451 because it is a book about banned books. And I just find that completely amazing and completely fun. Um, it is, was written in 1953, I believe, by Ray Bradbury. I, and, uh, no, it's Robert, right? Or <laughs> sorry, I had a brain fart. I had a momentary thought of, oh my gosh, did I just named the right author. Yeah, it was Because <laughs> we were talking about so many of them earlier tonight. And um, it's about a man in the couple centuries from now. I believe it's the 23rd century, I think. And he is a firefighter, only not as we know firefighters to be. His whole job is to set fires to people who are breaking the law and having illegal contraband in his books. So if you find... If the government finds out, oh, so-and-so down the street has a book in his house or a small library, it is this man, his name is Dean, or Guy, I'm not sure how he pronounces it in the book, and he, it's his job as a fireman to go in and start a fire and burn the house down and, you know, basically catch the people at, who are reading illegally, and it's an interesting read, so... I've read it before. I like the book. It's really a really did. good book, and it is also terrifying at the same time because oh, yeah. I think, especially now, since we're talking about banned books, and if you look at the long list of banned books, even just in America, not like other countries, just mm-hmm. the U.S. alone, it's insane what they put on that list of do not read, and it's all various reasons. Sometimes you can kind of see the point, but other times, like, oh, that is insane. You know, I can't believe you. You know, so it's. I think that's why this book is terrifying because you can actually kind of see it already starting to kind of happen a little bit in our world, especially if you, you know, I believe you said we'll get into discussions more about the books, but, you know, when you see the things that you're already kind of seeing on a smaller scale today, you know. It's always interesting trying to, like, get into the mindset of someone who thinks that a book should flat out be banned, right? Because they're, they're not all mind like, <laughs> right? They're not all talking about hatred and anger. Funny. <laughs> um, um, my book is 1984 by George Orwell. And although, um, let's see, it, I'll just read what it says in the back because it's good. The year 1984 is coming on, but George Orwell's prophetic nightmarish vision in, it says 1949 because that's when it was published, but he actually started reading it, writing it in 1948. The nightmarish vision in 1949 of the world we were becoming is timelier than ever. 1984 is still a great modern classic of negative utopia, a startlingly, startlingly original and haunting novel that creates an imaginary world that is completely convincing, from the first sentence to the last four words. No one can deny that the novel's hold on the imaginations of whole generations or the power of its admonitions, a power that seems to grow not less than with the passage of time. Um, I agree. The terms like a big brother that we use now as a comedy term comes from this book. Yeah. It came from this book. No, um, big brother's watching you. Big yeah. brother's watching you. That is one of the slogans 
in the book that just came from this book. The whole idea that the government is always watching you. Right. You know, because it, it, it's a dystopian. It's not a utopian society. It's a dystopian society. There's three main world powers. They are constantly at war. Almost like today. Um, <laughs> they're tearing down the language, getting rid of words constantly. As, um, there's because they're at war, they're always rationing everything. Everybody's always hungry. The quality of life is low. You don't, you know, you all live for the party. You live for Big Brother. Every home has at least one telescreen in it, and the telescreen goes both ways. So while they're projecting everything to you, they can spy on you, they can see you, they can hear what you're saying. Um, children are trained to, they join the spies as kids, like they, you know, they're in the spies when they're really little, and then they're in the junior whatevers, and I forget the order, but anyway. They are trained to spy on everyone around them. They are constantly turning in aunts and uncles and parents for, for, for a mind, a thought crime. Thought crime. It means that you thought something negatively. Like one of the one of the guys, and he's one of the guys who's bought into everything that the party says, right? Not Winston Smith, our main character. He's not. He's he's in his mind at least revolting against against the party and against Big Brother. Um, of course, this does not. This is one of those books that when I had to read it in high school, I didn't like it because it didn't have a happy ending. I like happy endings, okay? I was okay. I'm a fan of Disney, all right? I like happy endings. <laughs> And it's not happy. So he, he does. He revolts in his own way. He breaks rules. He gets arrested. He gets tortured. And at the end, it closes. He, he loves Big Brother. And he's like, they, they completely. They broke him. They broke him completely. He buys into it. Like, there's an announcement of a victory in one of the skirmishes. Like, a, it was supposed to be kind of a big main skirmish. Like, it was, we've, we've, we've won a victory. It means the end of war is near. The war will never end. They keep it and them at more purpose. But and he gets all teary eyed and it took him forty years, but now he, he loves his big brother. And that's how it ends. And you're like, it's sad and depressing. And the thing is is that the it, it's like your life part if you want it's terrifying because some of the things are so like, you know, they say that they can we have all these cell phones and all this technology that they can tap in on us. They you know it's not so far set as it was when he wrote it in, you know, the first half of the 1900s, you know. Um, it's not so far-fetched anymore. And, you know, but some of the things, like, he's in the department. He works in the Ministry of Truth. And he's in the department that's in charge of, of rewriting things. So if... Um, like, for example, halfway through, the, they're always at war with one. There's, there's Oceania, mm-hmm. um, East Asia, and Eurasia. Okay? And Oceania is uh, the British Isles, the Americas, and the whole, like, the Polynesian Isles, and stuff like that. And okay. part of, like, Australia. Okay. All right? Um, Eurasia is what was, um, um, like, all of the rest of Europe and Russia. And you have East Asia, which is like China and Japan and a few other things. And then most of Africa is what they're all fighting for. And all the fighting goes on in Africa. Okay? Hmm. So they're constantly sending bombs. Like, there's constantly bombs falling here and there. So there's always the threat of war. But they're like, but then all the big war skirmishes are happening in, in the continent of Africa. What is now. Anyway, so halfway through the book, 
they were allied with, I forget now which one because it switched, but they're allied with, the Oceania was allied with East Asia or Eurasia, and halfway through the book they switched. Now they're allied with the other one and they're fighting the other one. Okay? So he had to, he and his department had to do overtime, like they, they literally had to like sleep at work in two hour shifts because they're having to rewrite everything because they've always been at war with whoever, even though it just switched. <laughs> oh, everything, every news article, every book, everything has to be changed so that they've always been at war. So when anybody looks anything up in history, well, we've always been at war with them. Oh, God, it's scary. It's terrifying. He has to rewrite news articles because someone was mentioned who now doesn't exist. They've been vaporized. They don't exist anymore. So they have to rewrite it because that person can't be referenced because they oh, don't exist. God. It's like... It, it's super scary. <laughs> and and why, well, we'll think, go into we'll the other stuff later. But anyway, that, that's 1984. And <laughs> it may have been written in 1949, um, 48, published in 49, but it is. Now I feel like I should have done a bunch more so I thought we could do that later. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's, that's, that's 1984 in a nutshell. Let's keep it in a nutshell. I don't want to take it off. All right. Uh, I chose Huckleberry, the Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Uh, I believe it's the oldest story here, and it's a uh, <clears throat> it's about a young boy, uh, Huckleberry Finn, who runs away uh, with a uh, runaway slave in the, the deep south. It was printed in 1884, and oddly enough, it was first banned from libraries in Concord, Massachusetts in 1885. <laughs> 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 it, 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 it has been on the ban. It has been a banned book Almost a over 130 years. It is currently <laughs> ranked number 14. And basically from year one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for various reasons. Uh, it, it used, I, I'm not going to beat around the bush, it uses the word nigger 219 times. <laughs> wow. Um, Citizen my student. A lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, the references you find about the book nowadays are usually, uh, they come from journals about alcoholism and uh, the the way the the symptoms that young children who have alcoholic parents uh, the symptoms they present from having a family like that because it, it has uh, Huckleberry Finn has an alcoholic father that beats him and uh, abuses him and uh, the, the the use of slavery uh, and it, it's I think the reason it's banned nowadays is because people are just uncomfortable with everything in it because it uses slavery and it, it uses the word nigger and at one point they uh, somebody rewrote it to uh, replace the word nigger with uh, hipster. <laughs> Oh and it's, it's entitled <laughs> the, uh, the Hipster Huckleberry Finn. So everywhere they use 
nigger is hipster, so they runaway hipsters, free hipsters, <laughs> and, and stuff like that. It makes me hate that person. <laughs> If you go online and look, because uh, it's in the public domain, if you go online on like YouTube uh, and listen to the audio version, uh, the unabridged version is nine and a half hours long. Wow. And they have versions that are su- supposedly complete versions that are three hours long. So there's literally two-thirds of the story missing in some of these abridged versions. And because of all the content, all the the uh, all the content in there from the slavery, uh, the one section um, they uh, he run he comes across a a feud between two families and one gets caught up in the feud and the young boy is shot and killed in front of him and and uh, people he meets a couple. Uh, uh, shysters uh, called the Duke and the King, mm-hmm. and uh, they run a, uh, a scam on a town and swindle them out of money. And they, and they, in the end, they get caught, and the Duke and the King are tarred and feathered. And uh, you know, people nowadays they think, oh, they got tarred, they got feathers glued on them, but they don't realize now. Back then, that's almost a death sentence. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you know, because it's literally hot. <laughs> so and. Uh, yeah, so that that that's my book today. Wait. Yeah. Uh, my book is Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. And um, I had read it before um, a couple of times, so uh, I wasn't a stranger to the book. But it's probably been about thirty years since I last read it. So. Um, I read it and got to the end of it and was like, well, why is this book banned? You know? Um, so, um, <coughs> just from reading it, uh, you know, but there are other books that, you know, I've read, you know, in the past 10 years or so. It's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, a lot of them seemed a whole lot worse. So I I looked looked it up on Wikipedia on the book, and it has a section there on the censorship controversy. And it says Slaughterhouse Five has been the subject of many attempts at censorship due to its irreverent tone, purportedly obscene content, and depictions of sex. American soldiers' use of profanity and perceived heresy. And it was one of the first literary acknowledgments that homosexual men, referred to in the novel as fairies, were among the victims of the Nazi Holocaust. In the USA, it has been banned from literature classes, removed from school libraries, and struck from literary curricula. It was, uh, in 1972, was banned from the public schools of Oakland County, Michigan. The circuit judge described it as depraved, immoral, psychotic, vulgar, and anti-Christian. The Supreme Court 
considered the First Amendment implications of the removal of the book, among others, from public school libraries in the case of Island Trees School District versus Pico, and concluded that, quote, local school boards may not remove books from school library shelves simply because they dislike the ideas contained in those books and seek by their removal to proscribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion. Slaughterhouse-Five is the 67th entry to the American Libraries Association's list of most frequently challenged books of 1990 to 1999. Hmm. You know, and the, the, thing, the thing that the author himself was in World, World War II uh, he was captured by the Germans uh, after the Battle of the Bulge. He was part of a group of prisoners of war from many nations that were sent to Dresden uh, shortly before the firebombing of Dresden. And uh, he and about a hundred prisoners of war were kept in a in a slaughterhouse, there was a row of slaughterhouses, you know, there it was kind of, you know, the butcher section of town, and there's was, they were numbered, and there's was Slaughterhouse 5, and in the basement of the slaughterhouse, uh, where it was much cooler and everything, was where they, you know, would hang the carcasses for aging and that type of stuff, and it, it was, you know, a cellar with thick walls and very large space and that's where everybody moved to when the firebombing of Dresden occurred which is why that particular group survived and so Kurt Vonnegut was part of this group and the character in his book Billy Pilgrim uh, is part of that group as well and there are a couple of points where it's, it's focused on Billy Pilgrim and then it'll say and, and somebody said thus and such uh, that was me, the guy that wrote the book <laughs> so he rather intrusively interjects himself <laughs> at a couple of points just to remind you I, I really was there <laughs> and uh, not made up yeah. so you know, I, I'm sitting here in my mind and saying they're upset by profanity of soldiers. Uh, these are soldiers that have been herded into boxcars and uh, are barely, you know, they have food being passed in through vent holes and they have buckets to pass to the same vent holes to, to dump out human waste. And they're in ill health and... They're soldiers. They're prisoners of war. And you expect them not to use profanity. You know? I mean... That they remain civil. You know? Uh, it would it be nice to be a captain. <laughs> <coughs> so... Say, thank you for giving me food in the same hole in which it just got stuck in the mouth on the other day. You know? So, it, you know, like I said, I, I actually had to do a little research to find out 
why it was uh, why the the book was banned and censored along the way. But uh, it, it uh, it's an interesting book in that the protagonist Billy Pilgrim. It, it starts the book actually starts in chapter two and it starts with the words. Billy Pilgrim became unstuck in time again. And it's describing him and some other soldiers. They are behind the German lines. They haven't been captured yet. They're trying to make their way through a place of safety. They're traveling through some woods. He's leaning against a tree. And he becomes unstuck in time and moves to the future to... Uh, convention that he a top tomatrist convention that he attended because he after the war he came back and studied to be an optometrist and he, he he's rather spastic in time he doesn't he, he he will jump to his future he'll jump to his past things are fairly chronological in regards to what happened in the war and Dresden as it moves along but the rest of the book is all over the place and so it's not written in a chronological order it is written out of sequence and so but it's a fairly short book and it wasn't it wasn't difficult to follow yeah okay. yeah because sometimes when I do that sometimes like in other yeah. books I read that does that I, I sometimes get lost so it's good that yeah, you know, well, in, in in chapter two, he's going through and and, and just kind of gives a synopsis of what happened in his lifetime within the first couple pages of the chapter. You know, I, I was in the war, saw the firebombing in Dresden. After working back, study became an optometrist, married this gal, had kids. You know, these are the events that happened in my life. So you just got this little brief timeline at the very beginning of it so that when he starts biffing around and you're getting fuller looks at different pieces you already kind of have an idea of what sequence to pigeonhole them in. Okay. Uh, Dave? <coughs> yeah, I read uh, The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Um, the book is about a young kid by the name of Holden Caulfield who's a uh, rebellious teenager I'm, I'm guessing in the, in the book he was probably like 16 or 17 years old and he comes from a semi-rich family in New York City or well not New York City New York somewhere and he just got kicked out of his private school for failing at his classes and um, the story takes place probably maybe a couple weeks before Christmas around I'm thinking the, the 1940s the late late 1940s and um, the whole story evolves around him not wanting to go home to explain to his parents that he just got kicked out of school. So it's his little semi-adventures of what he wants to do while he waits to go home that Wednesday for Christmas break. And during this time, 
he is a very arrogant little prick. Excuse <laughs> my language. He hates everything. He thinks everything is fake. He has a very low opinion about everything around him. Um, he, he smokes. He drinks. One part in the book, he got a prostitute. Um, and he talks about like his hatred about this, how, how fake that is there, and, and all these bad words. I mean, every, every chapter is using goddamn or son of a bitch at least five, six times each chapter. I mean, okay. I, I may be exaggerating a little bit, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's still a lot. I, I, didn't, I didn't count, I didn't count the, the bad words like how uh, Brandon or... Uh, Justin looked it up. Justin. I didn't have to. I looked it up. Yeah, Justin <laughs> was with, with, the N, with the N-word in his book. <laughs> but um, he has a very low opinion of life in general, and he gets depressed about everything, and he's always constantly getting sick. And I have a, an opinion of it, but I'll, I'll get more detailed into it as we have our little discussion. And it's it's totally not even related to the book, but in my mind, it makes perfectly sense. <laughs> but um, the kid thinks he's he's crazy, and in the end, he just wants to run away from the world. But um, his little sister basically convinces him to to stay at home. That's basically what it is. So. Oh, sorry, yeah, that's that's all I really have to say. I mean, I got more stuff to say about it later as we go on. <laughs> I like your notes though. Holden Caulfield, very <laughs> little bit That's the note. <laughs> <laughs> he is though. He is. Uh, the book that I had initially thought of choosing, uh, Dave actually chose already. <laughs> Catcher on the Rye is, or at least it was for a while, and it might still be true. Um, my favorite book. Um, there was a lot at the time in my life that I first read it to see in myself with regards to Holden. Um, but since Catcher on the Rye was taken, uh, my second choice, that was the knife being whipped out, <laughs> just, just, for, just for clarification, um, my second choice was Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. And if you're wondering, wait, why is this a banned book? Yeah, I was wondering that too, but it was on a list. Apparently, a province in China banned this book in, I want to say, the 1930s, uh, because the idea of anthropomorphized animals speaking as humans was seen as dangerous, and um, it, it was thought that it would devalue the idea of being a person. If, if animals could speak and talk and act and do the same kind of things that people could, then they were on the same level of us, and thus we were not better than them. Thus, no, you can't have that as bad. Ban this book. I don't know if it's still banned, but it might be. Who knows? But, you know, the drug use is completely fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the drug use, yeah, no, the, the, the hookah, which, let's be honest, it's not hookah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Uh, this laudanum-laced piece of literature. Um, <laughs> I told you it wasn't tobacco. Uh, yeah, n- nothing is as innocent on the surface as it seems with this book, and it's part of the reason why I like it. Um, I've, I've always been fascinated by the story, and I've actually, I saw the movie before I read the book, and I was really Which surprised. The, the Disney movie. The Disney movie. The cartoon. Yeah, the cartoon. Um... 
I saw that before. I have a collection I, of Alice in Wonderland movies. I have some black and white ones. Like, <laughs> all the way to like sci-fi Alice, which I love. Like, nice. That's why I was like, oh, which one? <laughs> I've got like ten of them. I want to see the real Alice in Wonderland. There was there was talk for a long time about doing an actual live action adaptation of Alice in Wonderland with Sarah Michelle Gellar of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fame being cast in the role of Alice, and it was supposed to be a darker, much more surreal sort of thing. But it's been stuck in development hell in Hollywood for quite a long time now, and it basically may never happen. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you play video games at all, Bonnie, but there's a game called uh, American McGee's Alice, which is very like hot topic meets Alice in Wonderland. It's dark and oh, bloody and so great. Yeah, yeah, that's her main what weapon is a butcher knife. Computers, but I think it's also on Xbox. Yeah, like I think I think so. It's I don't really have the, I have one at my house now because my husband has one. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend playing it. It's oh. really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I saw the, the Disney cartoon first before I read the book, and I was surprised at how closely they stuck to the source material. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of the times, Disney movies, you know, don't. are far flung from the actual material they're they're citing here. But in this case, it's it's really really close to the chest. I, I like it a lot. Um, I enjoyed the book. Uh, I, I well, I guess we can save that for getting into the uh, nitty gritty of the mm-hmm. thing. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my banned book. I was surprised that it was banned. Yeah. It, in- interestingly enough, the original book was called Alice's Adventures Underground, and it was about two thirds shorter in length. Oh. And it was handwritten and illustrated by Lewis Carroll as a birthday gift to Alice Little, who was one of three sisters of the family in his parish. Nice. That uh, he hung out with a lot. They had had him over, you know, a lot for Sunday dinners and things like that. So he, he's kind of like an uncle to, okay. to the family. And he had a a friend whose last name was was Duckworth, and they had gone up the up the river uh, in a boat, and were going to do a picnic and got rained got rained on, and and that's kind of what evolved that whole scene with the pool of tears and the activities oh, okay. and running around and dry out and all of that and then, yeah. and then enough people read the book and said you really ought to get this published and so we found a publisher and the publisher wanted a little bit more so he rewrote it as Alice's, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and then they got Sir John Tenniel who was a famous illustrator of children's books at the time to do the illustrations oh nice okay so, but, uh, my high school time I was attending had a facsimile copy of Alice's Adventures Underground. Oh, wow. So, I got a chance to read it, you know, being facsimile. It was like written in his handwriting <laughs> and everything. <coughs> I was already a fan of, yeah. of the book. Which version do you prefer? Um, I like uh, Alice's Adventures. I, I enjoyed reading them both. I like Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Yeah. Because there's a little more to it. And um, also uh, Through the Looking Glass. You know, yeah. both of those. But it was... Um, it, it was definitely fun coming across that. And yeah. I remember in uh, my British Lit class 
we were assigned in groups and eras, mm-hmm. and my group was doing Victorian era, and I ended up with Lewis Carroll as the author, and, and so I had already discovered discovered that book, and uh, uh, ended ended up. Uh, <coughs> Using it, taking taking uh, slides of the artwork he did, mm-hmm. comparison with Sir John Tenniel and my <laughs> report, and and got uh, the annotated Alice from ah. MSJC Library, which has the poems that he parodied as yeah. well as their originals. <laughs> you know, and how uh, duck the little baby bee along with how duck the little crocodile. Exactly. Oh, God, and, that's so cool. And so I, 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 in the appendices, I included the parody and the original poems as they occurred in the book. <laughs> I, I ended up getting an, an A plus plus, <laughs> A double plus, A double plus. That's awesome. I, I, <coughs> I didn't get to new speak yet, but I will when I start going into detail on my I approve of that book selection. Nice. I love you mentioned. Um, Annotated books. I, I've recently discovered the wonders of annotated books. I have a, an old copy of um, the annotated version of Thoreau's Walden, and it has bits of his actual writing about the place, and it has like pictures of the things that he's talking about. It's just it's so cool, and it has the actual text of the book as well, just written like just you know typeface copied. And then you can compare like his handwriting to those of his contemporaries about the same subject matter. It's it's really cool. And then I also picked up a like one of those Barnes and Noble leather-bound versions of the annotated uh, "Brief History of Time and the Universe in a Nutshell" by Stephen Hawking. So, cool. It's really really cool. Um, so now let's get into the uh, nitty-gritty of our books. Let's talk about them. What did we like? What did we dislike? Uh, let's 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 compare them to to. Um, the things that, that we enjoy seeing in books. Okay. Well, I liked Fahrenheit 51 for probably the same reasons that I didn't, because not much I really didn't like about it, honestly, but it, the fact that it really absolutely terrifies me because, like I said, I see a lot of it already happening. Okay, like for example, he, he's a guy who's very content in his job. He's like, yes, we're going to get these people, you know, they're doing something wrong because it's wrong for whatever reason. Like, he doesn't really know why it's wrong. He just knows it's wrong. And then it's not until he meets this next-door neighbor, this teenage girl, who's all about thinking, and why is it bad? Why, you know, my grandpa says it's not bad, you know? And when he starts actually thinking about, yeah, why do we burn these books? He starts thinking about, like, there's no logistical reason that I can see, and so he picks up a book and like, what's this about? I think it was poems, or I don't remember exactly what the book was. But his wife just freaks out when she finds out because that's forbidden. You're a fireman. You should know better, you know. And he, she's a woman who. Oh my gosh, his wife. It's just. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, yeah. Oh, she's one of those women who is perfectly content. Like she's. It's really content to sit in her living room, tranquilize herself pretty much, and 
she they've got these uh, basically three walls let's take up the entire wall up to floor ceiling you know all the way to the end of basically big screen TVs basically and it's they're watching their version of a reality show where other people they watch other people living and doing just mundane stuff and every time they're just looking at each other you know kind of thing and it's basically their version of a reality show but and if you have like lines like you can interact like yeah you can interact you can quote unquote interact with them so you can have lines they can read you can and interact quote she calls it her fam- the family hey I, I gotta be with the family tonight you know kind of thing and it's like oh my goodness and she's you know like I want to get another, a fourth wall so she's basically talking about only completely walled in only the fourth wall and he's like but we haven't even finished getting off the third wall like you know kind of thing and it's like oh my gosh watching it like people are so content I mean don't get me wrong I love TV too I'm not saying I don't like TV I'm not saying I don't like TV or movies I far from it but and there's this woman where she doesn't want to do anything else but stay at home with quote unquote the family and you know so when she finds out that her husband's kind of curious about this book things she freaks out like how could you bring that into our house how could you endanger us you know all I want to do is be with my family you know family <laughs> to the point where and at the end at the very end like he gets caught you know, and he has to basically burn his own house down. And they have to finish paying off. I know, they have to finish paying off their wall And, you know, he ends up fleeing and, you know, running away from this underground, like, secret book people who are trying to, you know, bring books back and, you know, fight the power. And I just love it. I'm the one, like I said, I love it. Was it? He's better off He is, oh, yeah, much better than his wife. <laughs> and, but, uh, uh, yeah, he, he didn't go with him. I don't remember if she perished in the fire or she made it out. I don't remember off the top of my head um, because I meant to go go back and reread it, but I didn't finish it. Uh, I um, the second time around, I didn't finish it, but um, because I ran out of time. But um, oh my goodness, it's just I love it because it actually. Like I said, the same reason why I kind of don't like it is the fact that it terrifies me. Like, yeah. it gets me thinking, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> you know, this is something that could, what if this actually happened? What if people, like, start banging out? Because we're talking about bad books, and there are a bunch of books on this list that, you like, like, you know, Wayne was talking about, like, I had to go down the rabbit hole to find out why my book was bad. It was, you know. It, it, it reminds me of uh, Demolition Man. Demolition Man, yeah. And, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> Taco Bell Wars. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a lot like that. It's like, it's terrifying because, you know, uh, it's just, I, I'm terrified that one day is really not too far off. Because it's set in the 23rd century or 24th century, I think. So, time wise, it's not that far ahead of us. But if I, I feel like if they keep adding books to bear, sometimes for ridiculous reasons. Sometimes, I mean, we were looking at books, we found Top on Pop and some other <laughs> documents. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of Dr. Seuss books that were on that banned list. And the reason why the reason why Top on Pop was listed as a banned book was because I forget the exact quote, but like it perpetuating violence, yeah, it's so to, to harm, their parents. harm their father figures. Or their, you know. <laughs> oh my god! And it's like, yeah. really? Why 
There's no like you're getting too crazy with this, you know, banning book thing, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's like it kind of terrifies me that it could exist. But then I like, I love it so much because, oh my gosh, it makes me feel like I want to go do something. It makes me want to like stop all this, yeah. you know. And I, like I said, not too much. I just love the fact that you know it's a bad book about bad books and yeah. it's banned. It's like. There you go. One of the first books that I've read that actually had a, like a, a visceral effect on me. Yeah. Like I remember getting to the end of the book and going, what? What? No. <laughs> Why? Oh, everything is wrong. <laughs> Almost to the point where, like I said, I have the same kind of visceral, like, yeah. physical reaction, like, <gasps> what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, please don't happen. Please don't happen. <laughs> you know, and it's... So, personally, I wasn't really too much I didn't like about it. There might have been one or two spots where it's like, okay, maybe spend a little too much in his mind yeah. kind of thing. But for the most part, I just, I really love, like I said, there wasn't too much that I didn't really care about as far as it goes. The only reason why I don't care about it is because I think I see too much of it in real life. Yeah. Like people obsessed with, you know, reality shows and, oh my gosh, I gotta go home and watch, you know, this right now. And, you know, so it's like, I can kind of see that happening already a little bit, you know. So... Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, just me sitting there thinking, please. Don't. That's why I think that's why I had such an effect on me because, like, oh, I see this now, to much smaller degrees than in the book, but oh, amplifying it is. And the whole idea of banning a book comes from like wanting to ban what is considered to be like subversive ideas and, and, and that kind of thing. Like like just just the idea of banning a book is, is like this knowledge is considered to be like dangerous or whatever and it could influence people in a negative fashion and it comes from a place of wanting to perpetuate the quote unquote greater good, right? Nobody nobody puts out these kinds of like dystopian, let's say, laws simply because they are evil at heart and want to do evil upon the world. It's like they want to do what they think is the right decision, you know? Yeah. Even, even like, I don't want to throw them out there, but even Hitler thought that killing the Jews would be a good thing for the world, and it's clearly not. We know that, but in his head, that's what, that's what he, he thought. thought was good. And, that, and that's, I think that's part of the reason why some books get banned in certain places, even though, logistically, we know that it's just yeah. foolish. <laughs> I mean, I, like I said, I just, there's some books I understand why they're bad. Because, like yeah. I said, it, they don't want to create more people thinking, oh, this is a good idea. You know, like reading my company, oh, this is a good yeah. I can see where he's going with it, you know. But at the same time, it's like, in a way, I think there's also a danger to banning books. Oh, yeah. Because when you can read a book, even if it's a fiction book, and totally like, oh, that will never happen, it's like, well, at one point people thought, Fahrenheit 451 would never happen, and I think it slowly kind of it already is starting, and you kind of need the books to kind of say, oh, this could happen, and if so, these are the possible consequences of banning books. Not saying it actually will happen like this, but these are some possible consequences that maybe we should take into consideration, you know? Like, you know, not saying it'll be exactly like this when people will be setting the houses on fire, but it's just one possible scenario, you know? <laughs> 
And so what other possible consequences could we have if all books get banned? And, you know, that is... Ignorant populace is easier to control. It is. And I think that's a lot of why some books also get banned because it's like, well, we don't want them thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, ign- the ignorance may be bliss, mm-hmm. but at the same time, ignorance can also be dangerous to the general group of people in, as a whole, you know? Don't think that, you know, like you said, Big Brother, think for you. <laughs> it's a really good transition into talking more about 1984. <laughs> You're welcome. Let me skip towards the end in section three um, of the book, split into three sections of the book. Um, it, it's after Winston, our main character, has been tortured for a good long while, and it's one of the oh. torture sessions. And he's having things explained to him, and he's he's been asked um, why the party. The party is is it's not like the Republican Party, or the, it's the party. There's one capitalized. It's the party. Okay, <laughs> these are the people in charge. Big Brother is the head of the party. Okay, um, he whether the man himself even exists, or they just took a picture and made a poster, or whatever, it doesn't matter. You never actually see Big Brother. So you don't know. He's never even given an answer, although he asks it. Um, but the guy who's in charge of his brainwashing and torture session um, asks him, um, uh, why do you think that, um, why, why do we cling to power? What is our motive? Why should we want power? And of course he says, oh, well, you know, it's for the good of the people and stuff. And the guy turns the dial up and says, no, that was stupid. <laughs> you should know better than to say something's not like that. I'm going to tell you the answer. Um, we're not interested in the good of others. We're interested solely in power. The party seeks power entirely for its own sake. This is what, um, we are different from all the other oligarchies of the past in that we know what we are doing. All the others, even those who resembled ourselves, were cowards and hypocrites. The German Nazis and the Russian communists came very close to us in their methods, but they never had the courage to recognize their own motives. They pretended, perhaps they even believed, that they had seized power unwillingly and for a limited time, and that just around the corner there lay a paradise where human beings would be free and equal. We are not like that. We know that no one ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. Power is not a means. It is an end. One does not establish a dictatorship in order to safeguard a revolution. One makes the revolution in order to establish the dictatorship. The object of persecution is persecution. The object of torture is torture. The object of power is power. Now do you begin to understand me? Like, and you're like, oh my gosh. And this and, and it flat out says it. And, and that's the thing that is so terrifying about this, is that our world gets more and more like this. Um, they talk about okay here's here's great and there's a section that describe it in detail what it means like but I'm not going to go into that but the three slogans of the party war is peace freedom is slavery ignorance is strength oh god that's the three slogans of the party <coughs> alright um, and of course there's all the posters that say Big Brother is watching you um, but there's um at one point, he's talking with a guy at his workplace, and um, and the guy, it, it, this this man is in charge. He's one of the people in charge of um, the new edition of the Newspeak dictionary. Newspeak is is the, the official language of the party, and they're getting they get rid of words every year. And he's this is what this guy who he loves doing his job. He loves you know, helping create. You, you don't create. You tear down. He says. 
It's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. Of course, the great wastage is in the verbs and adjectives, but there are hundreds of nouns that can be getting rid of as well. It's only the, it's, it isn't only the synonyms, there's the antonyms. After all, what justification is there for a word which is simply the opposite of some other words? A word contains its opposite in itself. Take good, for instance. If you have a word like good, what need is there for a word like bad? Ungood will do just as well. Better because it is an exact opposite where bad is not. Or again, if you want a stronger version of good, what sense is there in having a whole string of vague, useless words like excellent, splendid, and the rest of them? Plus good covers the meaning. Or double plus good if you want something stronger still. Of course, we use these forms already, but in the final version of Newspeak, there will be nothing else. In the end, the whole notion of goodness and badness will be covered by only six words. In reality, only on one word. Don't you see the beauty of that? And you're like, what? He's talking about, like, like, as a writer, as a teacher. It's like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. Yeah, he goes on and he's talking more about how old speak will disappear. The whole literature of the past will have been destroyed. Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, Byron, they'll exist only in these speak versions. Not merely changed into something different, but actually changed into something contradictory of what they used to be. And he thinks this is a good thing. Oh, God. The character <laughs> this is a good thing. I haven't read this book yet, and you're just that and making my head hurt. Like, ah, it's great. It, it, it is, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, he says, the whole climate of thought will be different. In fact, there will be no thought as we understand it now. Orthodoxy means no thinking, not needing to think. That's the point of living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, 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 main, the main thing that you're afraid of in this book is not just Big Brother and the party, it's the thought police. If you have, if you don't say, okay, here's, for example, every day they have a five minutes of hate. They show a picture of the guy who's supposedly against the party. And they show pictures of their supposed enemies. And they do this for five minutes, and everybody yells and boos and hisses and throws things at the screen and get all mad. It's this euphoria of hate. Their party is built on hate. They keep everybody in check by giving them something to focus what amount of emotion they're allowed to have on. To keep it from focusing on them. Yes. And. But if you if you react in a certain way, if you show like that you care too much, or if you if you don't have the proper look on your face, you'll be accused of thought crime. You're against the brother, aren't you? And you'll get arrested and all sorts like it's insane. You are afraid. You're afraid of your best friend. Husbands and wives are afraid of each other. Everybody's afraid of the stinking kids because they'll turn you in faster than anybody. So they're being trained to do it constantly. Let's give the kids more power. Yes, it's frightening. His neighbor across the hall has two little kids. Now his neighbor is one of those that's all proud about the party. When Winston is arrested and he's in, he doesn't even know how long he's been in this one cell and people come and go, he's still sitting there. His neighbor is one of the guys, the guy, not the mom, but the dad, is, is arrested. And he's like, you, you in here? Yeah. What are you in for? Well, there's really only one thing, right? It's thought crime. You know, well, are you guilty? Well, I must be. They're not going to arrest you if you're not guilty. He's like, I didn't know the thing is, I didn't even know I was doing it. I was talking in my sleep, and my little daughter, she's seven, she's just so smart and everything. She was listening at the keyhole, and she went straight to the police the next day, and they arrested me. I, I'm, I'm so proud of her. She said, Yes, but this is the kind of people that, that they're creating in this society. They are. Revolution in the world should have been destroyed before that even happened. <laughs> but the thing is, is that they did it so so well. 
and so sneakily. It's just. And what and what kind of what kind of judgment does just a regular kid have? Not even taking into account when you twist that judgment into like that right? kind of thing. Like children are, are, are great, but they haven't they haven't developed the kind of you know higher level thinking that educated adults have. Right. But in this instance, they're taught to look for certain things, yeah. and if they see it all like. Like, the, he was bragging at one point about his daughter and her friends leaving their, their school hiking group because they saw someone who was wearing different kinds of shoes. She's never seen anybody wearing those shoes. He must be a foreigner. must be a spy. And turn him in. Wow. Because they never see foreigners here unless they're being paraded in as criminals. Now, I'm looking oh God, at this. that's scary and timely. Oh, God. No. They never see anyone who's not part of Oceana unless they are in the form of slaves or prisoners of war. And that is all. But if you think about it, it's ingenious. Get them while they're young and stagnate their learning, stagnate their thinking. Focus them on one thing. If you focus them on young, and yeah, you know, finger. It's the thing about this is that it's way too true. You know, and, and I read this and I'm reading it and I'm going, but, you know, I'm thinking about all the things that have come since it. That that. Even if they didn't initially intend to, like, I have no idea if some of these authors of like some like the Hunger Games. Yeah. I don't know if she ever read 1984. Maybe she has. Maybe she hasn't. But there are a bunch of similarities between things that happen here or the yeah. way the society is being run. Is in the Hunger Games. The Hunger. I love the Hunger Games. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, a series of books. Love those books. Um, again, a dystopian society. Uh, you know, um, but there's you know things like like that movie Eagle Eye. Did anybody ever see yeah. that? It's great. It's fantastic. And it's totally scary because it applies to today and it just harkens back to Big Brother's watching. Um, even that older movie, Conspiracy Theory, you know, where they <laughs> watched it. I mean, it's just... It's incredibly um, terrifying. You know, I This is this the third time I've gone through... Maybe the only time I've read it in its entirety, come to think of it. But in high school, I had an uh, uh, English teacher who, at the time, I was so frustrated because, oh, my gosh. But he took the banned books list, and you could, because it was on the banned, because books are on the banned books list, you could only have, like, five or six copies in the classroom, I think. And he took our class. It was an honored English class. And he split us up into groups of five or six, whatever the number was. Mm-hmm. And he assigned us these books, Fahrenheit 451, 1984, Slaughterhouse Five, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Brave New World, Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant, and I think there was one more. I don't remember you know, off the top of my head what it was. And we had to um, read them, and then there was a list of different projects we could do, and we had to present to the class about it. Now, grant you. We're all circulating through these books. So after several weeks of reading and presenting, we've, all, we've not only read half the books and presented half the books, but we have heard all of the books several times. So let's be honest here. Did I finish all of the rest of the books in their entirety? I didn't need to, so no. I read sections and just enough <laughs> to get a good grade with a lot of reading and a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. you did the smart thing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But um, at the time, I was so mad because these books were just infuriating. Not all of them. Brave New World really, really ticked me off. And I was going to read it, but um, now I know it's not going to be broadcast at the same time because we record ahead of time. But it was over the Christmas holiday, 
and you know when I went to break and I honestly don't want to read a book that might still piss me off and be <laughs> angry over all of Christmas it's been so, <laughs> not that long <laughs> yeah. but yeah you know so I decided me, I'd be I'd, I'd pick 1984 instead but um, wait it's okay so so I, I did that at a I did that I did that in high school and then um, after I graduated college I was in a small production company's uh, a play of 1984. I played, um, actually, the character I played was a kind of a combination of two of the characters in the book because it's a very limited cast for the play. Um, but anyway, um, oh, there is, so you've got the main party and you've got the main people who are part of the party and then you have this, the lower class, what we would consider like the, it's the really low class. And they're just kind of normal. They're the proles, they're the proletariat, they call them the proles. And they're, they still live and get married and their kids run around and they're just, but they're poor and they're not the same as the people at the party. And Winston constantly throughout the book is like, if there's any hope, it lies in the proles. But the thing is, is that they're never going to revolt because they're, they've always had life this way. They don't, you know, there's no, so, so yes, there would be hope, but there's not, um, which is unfortunate. But so anyway, so I, I studied it in high school. I studied it again because I was in a production of it, and then now I've gone back and it's been a number of years and I'm, I'm reading it again. And uh, and I like it more than I did when I was in the play. I liked it more then than I did in high school. Um, it, it's very thought provoking. It's terrifying. I can see why it's banned. Um, there's a few instances like. Like the guy Goldstein that they hate, he's Jewish, and they talk about like they, they show a video. One of the flicks they go to is it's they're all war movies, and it's like this mother who was Jewish, you know, holding her baby, and then they're all in a boat, and they all get like blown to pieces, you know. And so, like like there's several times where they talk against anybody. They, they talk so much against foreigners. So there's they're against Jews. Um, they're against like Mongols. And remember, this was written a long time ago. Like, like, but anyway, like, like anybody who looks, you know, they talk about the prisoners of war being yellow skinned and things like that. Like, it's just, it's not politically correct. Okay, I get that. You know, so there's some of that. Like, there was in Huckleberry Finn. So I get some of like, there's a few slang words for some people. You're like, oh, that's old slang and it's not, uh, not appropriate. I get yeah. that. Um, he, the main way he sins, not sins, but commits crime, besides his thought crime is. <coughs> he has an affair. Granted, his, he and his wife are separated. He hasn't seen his wife in years. There's no actual divorce allowed, but he hasn't seen his wife in years. He doesn't even know if she's still alive. But um, he and this other, this woman of the, who's also a party member, end up having this affair, and they find a secret spot to, you know, meet. And so there's, 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 you know, out of marriage sex. There's, you know. There's that, and you know, it's not like it's in detail or anything. I mean, sometimes he'll talk about, you know, how he's they're lying naked in bed together, and he's like, was there ever a time that this was normal where you could just lay in bed with a person that you love and and you know cuddle and talk and make love and whatever, just you know, and not have to worry about anything? He's like, now there never could have been time when that was the norm, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's the norm now. Oh my goodness, you know, and so it's like ah. Even things like that that we take for granted, he's thinking, is there even like 
this could never have even been normal. Like this is like like they feel like they've totally stolen all this wonderful you know time together. Of course, at the end they end up betraying even each other and they you know love each other by the end because the party breaks them. Um, but it's. I mean, it's, it's it's sad. It's fascinating. It's thought provoking, but it's terrifying. Yeah. And but you know, I feel I'm like I get okay. There's there's the sex. There's a lot of smoking and drinking. He drinks gin, smokes cigarettes. Okay, but I know. But so I'm like, I, I feel like now. Okay, one of the things. It's funny. One of the, the things that I was looking it up said that, that it was banned, there was this group in South Florida in like 1981 that put it on the ban list because they felt that it was a pro-communism book. It's totally anti-communism, like it's totally the opposite. So it's like, what? But that's what they said. It was pro-communism, so we have to, get, you know. I, I think it's convenient timing that it happened. It was 1981, yeah. 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 Right before like, 1984. Oh, because it's, it's totally happened in three years. Right, right. yeah. I, I mean, mean you know, I was born before 1984, but I didn't read this book before 1984, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the first time I read it was in, like, 1986. <laughs> so, you know, um, it was already old. And yes, the title was old, but... It, it's interesting. He he even says at one point he's not really sure because they don't really have calendars. Like he just goes by what he's told at work and stuff. But he's not really sure. He gets a, a diary and he starts writing it and he writes the date. And he says, I'm not even sure if it is 1984. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he's like he's realizing like like I don't really know if it is April whatever 1984. I think that's the date, but is it really? I don't know for sure. He's like, and so it is with every class of record, of recorded fact, great or small. Everything faded away into a shadow world in which finally even the date and year had become uncertain. So if you look, take that little aspect of it and go, well, maybe it isn't 1984. Maybe it is still our future sometime. And, it, and or, okay, because you know me, I'm a, I'm a nerd. What if, what if this were a parallel universe and really happened somewhere, like split off and it could have happened? And I'm like, that's the scary thing. It could happen. This one isn't, like, the technology and everything, we've proven today we have it. This, everything in here, could totally happen. And to, a, to an extent, does happen. Where our leaders don't tell us everything. They say we're at war, but really, do we know? Are we really there? Do we know exactly what's going on? Do we know it was really a victory? Do we know we went to war for the right reasons? We don't know any of those things. And, and I think everybody needs to read this book because it's thought-provoking. And, yes, you need to be at the point where you're ready to read it, yeah. Because I wasn't as ready in high school as I am now, but yeah. now it is so timely. I was thinking with her in high school, too, when I was yeah. ready in high school to do that. But um, you were talking about how, you know, yeah, the date is outdated, but at the same time, that's a great thing about a book, good book is that a good book with the ideas are never outdated. Right. And, and that's, that's where it's great. So I'm sure I've talked too much. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <okay>. thank you. <laughs> We should have a timer. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed my book very much. All right, wait. It covers a lot of ground. It, it, it has some areas in it that just um, talks about uh, his dad having uh, fights he's, he's fighting the devil at one point 
because he's going through a case of a delirium tremens, as it's called, or the DTs. And uh, I, I found that I could relate to that because my father was an alcoholic and at one time had gone through that in my when I was around him. And it's, it's a very scary thing, you know, the, 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 the pink elephants and stuff like that that they joke about really does happen sometimes with people who drink excessive amounts. And uh, the uh, lost my train of thought. Um, the uh, 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 he, he <laughs> Mark Twain went through a lot of trouble to uh, make this book as accurate as possible in the way people. Uh, talked and acted and stuff. Uh, supposedly, he put more time into this particular book than he did with all of his others, and because of that, it's been put, it's been banned in various libraries and schools for nearly 130 years. Uh, you know, because of the word nigger and uh, see. Talks about Arabs and, and uh, engines, and uh, there's uh, slavery, there's racism. Although I don't think Huckleberry Finn himself was racist, because if he was racist like a lot of people claim, he wouldn't have ran away down the river or to yeah, with, yeah. with Jim, who was a runaway slave. You know. If anything, he was more of an abolitionist yeah. because he helped Jim get away in several ways. Um, so they, were, they were banning a book based off of how it was written back then. Yeah, yeah, and, and how it was written is, is merely a reflection of the yeah. realities of the time. Uh, in, in some places, like in China, if you get caught with a copy of this book, it is illegal. It is a jailable offense. Like currently? Yes. Wow. To have this book. To have even just a digital copy of this book. Oh, yeah. And uh, in 1885, in, uh, in, uh, when this, in Concord, Massachusetts, they uh, described this book to be nothing, not even suitable for trash. Wow. <laughs> and that's saying a lot because a lot of interesting books came out of the 1800s. Yeah. You know. You know, yes, they were long-winded and like me, and sometimes kind of dry, but like but they were interesting. <laughs> they were interesting. They had a way through tape diaries. <laughs> that wasn't me. That was Brandon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, it was a fun book. It, it and, and I have to admit, uh, reading and. You know, the, the word nigger is an uncomfortable word because of what it's been stuck with all these, well... The connotations and everything. Yeah, because... But it, all in all, it was... It's just... It's, it's just a, a word that describes a person's skin color. It's... In itself, it's not necessarily a bad word. It's... You know, it's... it's it's become derogatory. Of course, nowadays you go around any grade school, 
and kids are calling each other nigger this and nigger that. And For nigger, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, it's, you know, if you go on, um, uh, what do they call it, the Black Television Network, uh, oh, the BET, they use it all the time. And they're, and it's, it's normal. So, but it's racist. But it's racist if anybody but a black man says it. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is words have only the power that we give them. And right. for the longest of times, that word was used, you know, in a really badly. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> in, in an obvious, like, negative fashion. And, and my great uncle used it in that fashion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy. So did his great grandmother. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, hell, members of my family, too. Like, yeah, and in that instance, it's it's clearly being used in a certain fashion. But and I'm no expert of the black community, but from what I can see, it seems like a lot of the times that it's being used in you know rap music and on playgrounds to refer to uh, other kids and stuff. It, it, it's it's almost like a way of taking it back and making it their own. You know. Yeah. And and in that case, that's that's cool, but. The thing is, like, it has the power that we give it, and a lot of the people who see it in a negative fashion in this book are seeing it how it, you know, is being used to kind of like, you know, degrade. De- yeah, to, to, to degrade a certain uh, subset of the species. But you could also see it as just like you, you can't deny the existence of something because you don't like it, you know. If right. you Unless say you were in 1984, uh, there you go. and then they changed it, and it never existed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what they were doing with it, trying to change all the words to hipster. At one point, uh, a, a college professor tried to replace the word nigger with slave, but in certain parts of the book, it's threw it completely out of context mm-hmm. because, uh, like Huckleberry Finn's dad was talking about, he saw a uh, a free nigger in town. And he was even allowed to vote where he was from. Mm-hmm. And people were talking about he, they, they should catch him and sell him. And they said, no, we can't do that legally unless he's been in the state for 30 days. And, uh, but if, they, if you read that section in the abridged version where you know, he's a free slave who's allowed to vote, but the man never was a slave. He was born free. Yeah. So it throws it throw things like that. It throws it all out of context. You should have to make the Yeah. And then, you, then you have the, the hipster Huckleberry Finn where it replaces the word nigger with, with hipster. And it's just... Well, what's a hipster? Yeah. A free hipster, you could vote. What? And I found a... Uh, oh, where was it? Um, nope, that's not it. It... There was one th- one thing I found that described the the hipster Huckleberry Finn hipster as uh, oh I have all these things on my thing and I don't have them situated um, too many tabs yes um, <laughs> but anyway it talks about uh, Huckleberry the hipster Huckleberry Finn a book that. Uh, that is now interesting and cool. Remember the exact uh, phrase. I need to start. I, I really need to start making paper notes like Dave God. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, most of the time, I'm reading these books laying in bed, and it's hard to write when you're 
trying to keep your eyes open. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's, it's the, uh, another uh, college professor uh, made a comment that uh, trying to abridge or ban these books is likened to the rape of the English language and or English literature, uh, English American literature, literature and, or something along those lines. And in a way, it is because. Without are the, the, the books, even the ones that upset us and stuff, uh, people become complacent, mm -hmm. and you know, well, why why do I want to uh, think against this or that? Or, you know, or they they don't realize that some that something is wrong. You know, they think if it's well, maybe that's all right, but when it is actually, it's, it's and also what it is is I I think if you're trying to ban these things say you know like public mm -hmm. because of the word use of the words and stuff it's like yes and that's unpleasant that's yes, unfortunate that's that, the way people were but a take it into consideration time I'm not saying this has mm -hmm. happened two years ago you know right. and b if you ignore history you're doomed to repeat it definitely and if you try to like push the uncomfortable oh yeah well, at one time people own other people like if you try to push that out of people's recollection that it's very possible that could happen very you know again soon I mean you know I mean maybe not get yes. back to a place where we own people, but at least something very similar where people will dehumanize other people yes the, the best thing that you can do with a band book is to understand it in the context of when it was written and then also put it up against the context of today and then make a moral judgment on that, you know? You gotta say that with almost any book, especially ones that make you think. Like, yeah. you know, not just, I mean, yeah, there's some books that, you know, obviously it's just purely meant for entertainment, but there are some books that truly get you to think and, you know, and make you better people. Like, for example, I just, you know, not long ago I heard a study that said people who read, or kids who read Harry Potter from a young age and grew up with it, you know, they are less inclined to hate other people based on race, mm -hmm. religion. They, they tend to be more accepting to people who are different than them. Mm -hmm. Because in that context, they're able to understand, oh, you know, muggle versus wizard, oh, that's a bad thing to separate because then you get a hold of more. You know? oh, yeah. So they're able to learn, okay, that's not, and that's, I think, what a good book should do, you know, it, it yeah. should give you the thought, oh, this is why, this is what happened, this is why we don't do that, <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, not even just that, like, it's mentioned a couple times in the Harry Potter books how peculiar it is that Harry sees Dobby and, and you know, house elves in general as, like, equal to him. It's, oh, yeah. it's very strange for most wizards who have grown up in wizarding households, and I think that says a lot. <laughs> because even yeah. though Dobby is a house elf and not, you know, I know it's kind of getting off topic a little bit book-wise, but, you know, he's not seen as equal because he's just there, you know, he, that's what they're there for, they're just their wizards, you know, it's not even wrong, like, yeah, that's what they do, you know, so. Dad? Okay. Uh, one of the things that, that, uh, happens, um, one of the one of the, the POWs that's with Billy Pilgrim is older than the rest. He was actually a high school history teacher, and he 
he checked in a few favors and a few connections to get himself into the army to go fight this war. Because he was he was te- he's right there on the borderline of being too old to become be enlisted, and so he he managed to pull in some strings and favors so he could go to war. And after the firebombing of Dresden, they uh, get all of these survivors out there, and he describes it as the moon, as in craterous. As they when they firebombed, you're you're talking napalm, napalm. and stuff. Phosphorus back then too. Phosphorus, napalm, high explosives, and the entire city was burned, and anything that was burnable burned, and things that were stone cracked and crumbled, and it, and they couldn't. They couldn't drive vehicles into there or even uh, animal-drawn parts. And they just referred to it as, as the surface of the moon. Yeah. You know, and, and so the people were banded together and given kicks and shovels and stuff. And the Germans started, you know, just, okay, start digging here, digging here, digging here, you know. And, and the holes were just filling in with debris, you know, and then finally they found a hole and came up against some boards and formed a kind of a dome and they got opened up and got a ladder down and one of the German officers went down and came up and said, you know, there's a bunch of people down here. Mm-hmm. And so they said the first of the corpse mines was opened. You know, and it was like going down into like a wax museum. Initially, and then after several days, the corpses started rotting and, you know, liquefying. And then people that are trying to go down there to bring them out are getting sick and dying. And so, their next method of dealing with it is you take a flamethrower down there and just incinerate them because you aren't going to get them out anyway. And there's now pestilence and stuff there. And and then the soldiers started disappearing because the Russians were encroaching and they get, get called away to the front, you know, and then the the war was over and, you know, there's this scene where Billy Pilgrim is with a group of guys all on one side with, uh, they got caught by the Russians and they're lined up here and, you know, like a football field distance, there's a line of allied troops with a bunch of Russian prisoners of war and they're doing a one-on-one, you know, taking 10 guys here with 10 guys there and swapping them back, you know, uh, across like that. But this this uh, teacher was, you know, down in one of the corpse mines and, and comes out with this beautiful teapot that he came across down there and he was immediately arrested well he's already in prison board but basically you know you were looting and was basically tried right there and shot with a firing squad because he happened to carry a teapot out of the hole (laughs) um and 
there there was this one guy. He was there were two scouts. This one fellow whose uh, last name is Weary, and Billy Pilgrim, and they're they're skulking along, and the scouts finally deserted because the guys can't keep up, and then Weary and Billy get captured by the Germans. And the people that capture them take their shoes because they had better shoes than the German guys did. Because these are the really old men and the really young boys. Yeah. Because all the able-bodied soldiers were elsewhere. Yeah. <coughs> and they gave Weary a pair of wooden claws. <laughs> and and so he's wearing those to the train, traveling to the train where they're loading everybody up in the box cars. And it's several days' journey, and these wooden clogs, by the time you get there, has torn his feet up. Yeah. You know? And so he's there in the train, and gangrene sets in. And he knows he's dying. He's in a different train car. And so he's drilling all these people. Uh, who killed me? Billy Pilgrim. He's blaming Billy because Billy wasn't keeping up, and if he had been, and all of that, then we wouldn't have got caught. And so he's got got everybody, you know, on the outs for Billy Pilgrim because it's his fault this other guy dies. And so one of the guys in that car, he here in the states, he's like a car thief, a criminal. He's he boasts he says, I, I'm making I'm making a list. Anybody crosses me, you know, about two thousand dollars, I can have anybody shot. <laughs> you know, and. Uh, so he comes up to Billy and he says, yeah, yeah. And enjoy the time you have left. So we get out of this and back to the States and one of these days says, somebody's going to come up and say, hey, you remember him? This is from him. Bang. You know? And they, they both survive and that's actually how Billy dies. He's, he's, uh, it's, he's an old, old man. He's, he's got... You know, he's gotten married, he's had wife and kids, the kids have gotten married, he's on a lecture tour, and, but because he's unstuck in time, he knows, you know, this is where it happens, and he's telling people, well, I won't see any of you after tonight, you know, this is, uh, people are going to be concerned about it, you know, it's time, and see, the thing for him is, and the night of his daughter's wedding, he gets kidnapped by aliens, the, from the planet Trafalgar, which is where the flying saucers come from, and gets put in a zoo there. But they they also talk with him, and they they see fourth dimensionally. So they see, while to us time is linear, mm-hmm. you know, and we believe in free will and self determinism and a hope for the future, they see time in its entirety from beginning to end. And as far as they concern are concerned, it's all set in stone. Hmm. They say of the uh, 340 planets that we've explored and the other 600 planets that uh, uh, we've sent researchers and stuff to or got information on, Earth is the only planet in the entire universe that believes in free will. <laughs> you know. And so to them the future is as set in stone as the past is. 
it's all immutable. Is what Billy's going. Well, well, why did you guys abduct me? You know, what do you mean, why? Why you? Why us? It's it was ordained in the moment. It is. You know, that's the way it is. So he ends up. I mean, this is the time he spends with them, and the fact that he's unstuck in time and is spastically trapped. That all happened before the Shafamagorians to help him understand what was happening. He's kind of taken their worldview, you know, where nobody really dies. You know, you see somebody at the point of their death and they go, well, they're not doing as well as they were here or here or here, but everybody is existing in this totality. And so... If you're seeing time as, as a whole from start to finish, then you know you're seeing that whole thing is it always exists, and so the person is always there. That's an interesting type, look type of thing. So that, at that point, you know, Billy's telling the people, hey, "Don't worry about." It. And um, I had lunch uh, two or three days ago with my. Buddy Dennis, and he's read the book and, and seen, seen the movie as well, which I haven't yet. And we were talking about it, and it suddenly dawned on me. I said, I remember stating clearly in the book that Billy was abducted the night of his daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he's bouncing around in time, but part of that time he's in the zoo on, on Channel Famador, and they end up kidnapping. Uh, a starlet and bringing her there and the two of them end up falling in love and having a child and you know at one point he's been here he's been in Dresden and suddenly he's back there and she said you came unstuck in time again didn't you I can always tell (laughs) and it wasn't the war this time because I can always tell that too so where were you and what were you doing you know, and so he's, you know, he's telling her, and and then comes stuck again, and but then you see him also in his old age, and you know he's back here on Earth, and and he comes to the point where he's lecturing on Shafamagorian philosophy, and he knows this is the night that he dies and, and he's telling people, hey, it's cool, don't get upset about it. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what's destined to happen. So, you know, and he's talking and I'm, I just, I finished reading the book already and I said to Dennis, I said, I just realized that they talk specifically about him being abducted on his wife's wedding but they never mentioned bringing him back. You know, Hmm. In the book, and, and I'm, I'm saying I don't I don't recall what came back. So I was actually looking up something else, but I came across this uh, because Billy had been in, in the hospital, and then they had a nurse watching him, and he snuck out and went to New York, and ended up getting on this radio show and start talking about <laughs> these aliens that have abducted him and this type of thing and there were some night owls in the hometown that heard him and called the daughter so <laughs> Barbara was upset she and her husband went down to New York and brought Billy home Billy insisted mildly that everything he said on the radio was true he said he had been kidnapped by the Trafalmadorians on the night of his daughter's wedding 
He hadn't been missed, he said, because the Trafalgarians had taken him through a time warp so that he could be on Trafalgar for years and still be away from Earth for only a microsecond. <laughs> well, how convenient. <laughs> you know, and so I'm like, okay, that explains it. Uh. <laughs> they, they took him through a time warp. Okay, we're going to keep him here in our zoo for X number of years. And, and then back to where he disappeared from, then he can live out the rest of his existence here. And we'll put somebody else in the zoo, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, just seems to have a turn I never expected. Yeah. Just from the title, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, <laughs> what? You know, so, so technically it was... He's in the war and then there's aliens. What? I'm so confused. You know, and... They describe it as, as a postmodern uh, metafiction. <laughs> Something like that is one of the descriptions of so it. <laughs> but... Um, It, it just the the, the the thing about about Billy is when they run through the force, he kept telling the other guys, just, just leave me here, just go on without me, you know. And Weary was the one that kept insisting on, you know, keeping him going with everybody else, even though in the end he blamed his death, yeah, you know, on on Billy and. It, it just when he's he's there in the war, you know, it, you would think if you're going to call it an anti-war book, yes, he's describing some of the horrors of war that happened, and there were some atrocious things that occurred as prisoners of war and things that he saw mm-hmm. and that type of thing. But Billy's attitude was you know well that was you know that was how it was meant to be that's what was supposed to happen then you know and so he's at no point is he like man this is awful you know he got shipped off there and blah 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 you know and and so I I never myself got a distinct anti-war feeling from the book okay okay you know even though it's touted as one of the, uh, you know, earlier uh, anti-war novels, yeah. So I, I don't know. It it it's an interesting read. Vonnegut's an interesting writer. So cool. Dave. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> Wake up, Ray. I know. Okay. Um. What are we supposed to be saying? What we like about the book? I didn't really like anything about this book. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, no? No. Um, I'll, I'll read to you what the censorship in use in schools is. In 1960, a teacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma was fired for assigning the novel in class. However, he was later reinstated. Uh, between 61 and 82, The Catcher in the Rye was the most censored book in high schools and libraries in the United States. <laughs> the book was banned in Osaka, Washington. High schools in 1978 as being part of an overall communist plot. <laughs> overall communist plot. 1981, it was both most censored book and second most taught book in public schools in the United States. <laughs> According to American... 
uh, Library Association, The Catcher in the Rye was the 10th most frequently challenged book from 1990 to 1999. It was one of the 10 most challenged books of 2005, and although it has been off the list for three years, it reappeared in the list of the most challenged books in 2009. The challenges generally begin with Holden's frequent use of vulgar language with other reasons including sexual references, blasphemy, undermining of family values and moral codes, encouragement of rebellion, and promotion of drinking, smoking, lying, and promiscuity. Often the challenges have been unfamiliar with the plot itself, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't mean anything. And let's not forget the fact that it was cited as, uh, what's his name's favorite book, The Guy Who Killed Lenin? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he carried yeah. around on him. So, yeah, it's um, not to promote that. Well, right after he, he shot Lenin, basically he looked out and sat down on the curb and started reading it, well, <laughs> waiting for the police. That guy's just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it says here, several shootings have been associated with Salinger's novel. The John Robert Bardo's shooting of Rebecca Schaefer and John Hinckley Jr.'s assassination attempt on mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan. And then after fatally shooting John Lennon, Mark David Chapman was arrested with a copy of the book he had purchased the self-same day. Well, he just happened to buy it that day, you know, like... Anyway, Dave, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, but I mean, I, I just don't see how this book would have to deal with going out and assassinating somebody. To me, it was kind of a, a rebellious book where it's a, I think it's just a, a typical, typical teenager book of him rebelling and hating everything because things aren't going his way. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. I was supposed to kind of have to read it at that age. I don't. Like. I just, no, I just thought the, like, the book was, was boring. I'm saying if you're going to read it and enjoy it, like that's the kind of age where you're going to enjoy it. Like if you're not really when going you're to the age I'd have to disagree with that because um, a, a kid, even even at at at, his, at the age of the kid in the book, I'm thinking he's like 15 to 17 or something like that, because he's mentioning that they're in high school, so they didn't say anything about him being a freshman, so I'm assuming a sophomore or a junior, because if he was ready to graduate, he'd be 18, whatever, and I mean, I don't see kids reading this book and actually liking it, I mean, they, they, they... <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, I, think it's I just thought it was I mean, it's hard to imagine um, many high schoolers reading. I think they, they probably liked it because teachers didn't want them to read it. And they're reading it because, oh, I got this. I'm reading this. Hey, if it gets them to read, I'm okay with that. That is the mindset of a lot of people. <laughs> and I think that's extremely shallow. Because there's, I mean, I don't, I mean, they, the kid in there is extremely negative. He's extremely negative. I, I don't think the only thing that he liked um, was he had a dream. What the hell is that? Keep going. But, um, the kid in the book, Holden Caulfield, the only thing that he liked was he had a dream about saving kids in a rye field. And I think the kids were going to jump off a cliff or yeah, the right kill, kill themselves. Yeah. And he would be yeah. the catcher And the he would be catching them to save them. Mm-hmm. Hence the name Catcher in the Rye. And I think 
that's the reason why he, he stayed is because he was catching his sister. Mm-hmm. Because his sister wanted to follow the deep, um, go and follow him, his his brother because he was thinking of running away and just mm-hmm. basically just giving all giving away all hope. And she was going to follow him, and he didn't want that, so he saved her. So he basically caught her. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, the kid. The kid has some extreme emotional issues. I mean, he, I don't think he, he likes anything, except for he wants to be the catcher. Yeah. But um, he smokes, he drinks, he, he tries to get a prostitute. Um, he thinks of ideas, and then he says, well, I did, I mean, the book explains how, uh, how he didn't like something, and then he was going to do something, and then... He suddenly says, "Well, I just didn't feel like doing it." It's like, "Well, why the hell did you even explain it in the book then?" <laughs> um, he went through several schools. I mean, he—I mean, even the teachers were were one of the old—I forgot what the guy's name was. It was like in chapter one. He was telling him that he was doing a good job, but he, need, he needs to—he needs to. Uh, basically, in my opinion, the kid just needs to grow up. Someone needs to slap him upside the head and tell him how it is. And if he if he starts giving you a lip, just smack him upside the head again. <laughs> Saying this is a little prick. You need to grow up. <laughs> Quit being a dipshit. <laughs> I mean, the kid is a total dipshit. I will say I so I did do that in high school. I think that it's a kind of shame that when you get to see him be an adult because it is a teen book. He's a teen in the yeah. book, and like. I kind of want to know: Does he straight up, or is he just no. like this his entire life? Is no, the end of the end of the book is 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 pure negative. He's because he says, "I don't want to tell anyone anything because if I do, I'll start to miss them." Well, it's either explicitly or implicitly. I forget which implied in the book that he's ended up in sort of like a not a sanitarium, but like basically a like a, a therapy house and he's like talking about this to someone like as a, as a means of therapy. A psychotherapist? Yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's implied that he's at least you know, if not on purpose, he's at least starting to get a little bit better and bring everything that's happened to him into like a healthy context, so. I think um, that's Yeah. Yeah, back <laughs> upside the head. Hey, dumbass. Here's some Prozac. But more to your point, there actually, I think there are going to be future uh, books, not if not about Holden, then to do with like him and his family. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw I saw a documentary called Salinger. It might still be on Netflix, and I, I recommend watching it. Oh, it's really fascinating. It talks about J.D. Salinger's life and his rise to fame with this book, and how he ended up rejecting it entirely, and basically lived as a hermit away from the limelight until he died, and and nobody knew what he was doing, but he was still writing. He wrote a lot more books, and they are going to be published like in like a, a once a year sort of fashion, whatever. Starting, I want to say a year from now. I'm not sure on the dates, but he he wrote a lot more, and some of them are Holden Caulfield books. Yeah. So we will see if he's better. I mean, the the yeah. reason the reason why I chose this because I, I knew this was on a uh, it was like a banned a banned book for years. I didn't mm-hmm. actually know there was a banned book list. Yeah. And I mean, I should have known that there should have been <laughs> other books out there, but this is the only one that I actually really knew yeah. that was on the fan list. 
But if I would have known how much of a dipshit this kid was, <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't have read it. <laughs> I'd have to say that I, I, I read the whole thing through, and it was it was a tough read for me. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a difficult read. It, it, the kid was an highly annoying, and I'm like, oh man, I have to read another damn chapter. This, what the fuck is he going to complain about now? <laughs> what more is he complain about? Now? Exactly. You have to last long enough to complain about something. It's like God. And then when when it finally ended, I'm like, thank God. <laughs> so you don't you can't wait till the next one, right? No, I'm not reading the next one. <laughs> but let's tell you how it was. You know, it's still a dipshit. The kid is a. The kid just saying he's a Oh, that is to say the least. <laughs> The kid just needs a his a, the kid needs a good old fashioned ass whooping. I will say I'm not one for hanging around people who constantly complain. Yeah. I mean, I do admit that I complain about stuff a lot, but God, this guy, this guy's the king. He gets the crown, like man. <laughs> Maybe the next one will be called. Uh, you don't ditch it. <laughs> you don't ditch it. So that, that's all I really have to say about this. Book. <laughs> um, I genuinely enjoyed my my selection. It, it was a very quick read, and, and as I said, I came to Alice from the the Disney movie first, um, and I was pretty surprised at how more childlike she seemed in the context of the book. Because in the movie, she's 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 still a child, of course, but she does. She talks in sort of a, a pseudo adultish kind of fashion, and their their um, their wondrous ideas that she's talking about and all that. But in the book, she she her, her thinking is sort of floaty. It's kind of butterfly esque, like in the way that a child thinks. Um, for instance, when she's first falling down the the hole, um, she takes the um, the, the the drink me potion and she's and she's drinking it and, and all that kind of stuff and then she's growing and she says uh, oh my poor little feet I wonder who will put on your shoes and stockings for you now dears I'm sure I shan't be able I shall be a great deal too far off to trouble myself about you you must manage the best way you can but I must be kind to them thought Alice in reference to her feet she's, she's <laughs> musing about how far away she is from her feet and how she's going to have to mail them shoes to get them put on her <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, a, she's a child. She's much she's, more she's childlike. She's like five or six years old in the story. Isn't I she? think so, yeah. Um, and but like, I think the most adaptation, like, filmed, or uh, she's usually probably between eight and ten, usually, yeah. like, if yeah. you know, most yeah. adaptation yeah. of it. I, I thought that she was, like, like, 11 or so, but in this, she's probably, like, seven. Yeah, <laughs> eight at the most. At the most. Yeah. At the most. Um, and I, I kind of I enjoyed that because it was I already had an idea in my head of who Alice was based on the, the movie that I saw but I got to see a whole new side of Alice in this book and I, I really enjoyed that uh, there wasn't much that I disliked about it it, it could be a little bit wordy in, in the same kind of fashion that um, like classic British literature can be a little bit wordy uh, but it wasn't distracting it didn't take away from the book at all I, I really liked it um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I I liked the book. I thought it was cool, and it's totally about drugs. And right. anyone right. anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. <laughs> yeah, they're not yeah, the mushrooms yeah. and the little the little vials. Frankly, I'm surprised this book wasn't banned for that. <laughs> like it was banned because the the animals were too people like, not about the the you know 
vagrant sort of like <laughs> drug abuse in this book. I thought that would have been the reason why, but nope, nope, it's, it's animals. Yeah, I guess. You can't have them on the same level as we are. No, that's, that seems right. disastrous. <laughs> it's so, so funny. Give our opinion on whether or not these books should be banned or not. Uh, I would think that a quick round. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think banning books is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think in general, I mean, if you don't like a, what a book has to say, or if you, like, if there's something you legitimately have feel wrong about a book, don't, don't read it. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. are several books I That's, have not read. There's a reason they put that little description on the back cover. Yeah, to see if you want to read it or not. No, I understand. I understand that (laughs) some of these books, um, I I get as far as the education purpose. Like, if I'm not a parent, I would like to be, but I'm not yet. Um, You know, perhaps if there was a book that I found super offensive or did not want my child reading, I wouldn't want it to be required reading. Yeah. But I don't. I think that the options should still be there. I just yeah. think that if you know if they're going to have to read something, that I to be able to talk about it as a family, so that they understand, you know. But um, yeah, but about it being banning a, books is you know, uh, an age requirement. I mean, I wouldn't give this to a kid that's in middle school and under. Right. Well, yeah, I would think that they yeah. should be kind of right by age, but that should be age required. They have to be. Uh, emotionally uh, ready. Emotionally, ready. we talked about earlier. Earlier, we talked about how there were books we weren't ready for. Like you just knew mentally or emotionally, we weren't ready for those books. They have to have that also would depend on the books because Certain personally, books. I could see why they banned this because they don't want their 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 school kids ended up like this dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you see a whole house, a whole school? Reading this book, Jeez. and then, and then I had a whole sixth period full of them. Last <laughs> seven years. Year. Yep, and they have almost the entire class. <laughs> none of them have read that. Most of them have read an entire book that is more than ten whole, pages long. A whole class full of Holden Cop. I mean, Holden Cop books. <laughs> no wonder they banned the damn book. They don't want the kids acting like that. <laughs> well, they do they, anyway. Well, most kids though don't really take things so literally. You know, they don't. They, I, I, but I do agree that, uh, that I don't have to ban the books, but the kids do have to have a certain amount of maturity before yeah, they read yeah. a lot of the books. Oh, yeah, like Fahrenheit 41. I was not ready for that in high school. Yeah. No, I don't think it should be high school. Honestly, I think some of these books, I'm glad now that I was forced to read them in my honest literature class, yeah. but I think that most of them would be college age. Yeah, I didn't read Lord of the Flies until college, and I, I think that's a good thing because I absorbed yeah. it a hell of a lot better then than I would have. I got this now. a lot better now yeah. than when I had it in high yeah. school, and even I was in a production of the play. Okay, I studied it. I was, you know, I enjoyed the play. It was it was a nice nice production. It was you know it was fun, um, but. I understand. I get more out of it now than I did even then, preparing for my character and my role. So you know, I think some books just depends on your maturity level. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's definitely a case for each individual person. Yeah. And if you're going for a class type thing, again, 
you know, just go with something that you know the vast majority of the class will understand and get. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be giving these things to your high school kids, you know. Right. Don't, but at the same time, it's like, don't ban them. Don't, you know, maybe when you get to high school, have, you know, okay, this year, these are the, you know, choose five books from these, from this list. Yeah. You know, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and make them, you know, good books. Like, don't just, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, I get it. so the point that you made, Bonnie, about um, being able to like talk with your kids about a book that you feel like is possibly like you know, let's say bad for them, let's say. Right. Um, what you what you do by banning a book is not only saying my child should not read this book. You're dictating what other People's children should children. read. Yeah. You're not only that's like, someone else's yeah. parenting. Yeah. You're you you're trying to on. take over in a sense someone else's household. Yeah. That's, I don't think that's terrible. terrible. If, if okay, if it comes time where I've got kids, and I could I could arbitrarily say I don't want to read Twilight. Okay, for these reasons, I don't I think that's that's okay. okay. Auntie Bonnie will let them read Twilight. You <laughs> won't. <laughs> 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 I just actually know it. I'll have a better book for them, don't worry. But you know what? Like, but if Bonnie wants to her kids with Twilight, I'm not going to say, hey, don't ban it to the entire class. You know what? You know, the, the reason, Twilight. okay, Twilight is poorly written. The reason I like Twilight is because I know, I know high school and junior high students who that was the first full-length novel they read because they were interested in the story. So they read something. They made them want to read more. So for that reason and that reason alone, I cannot dis- discount that book even, even though it's for That is good and bad. The fact that I got people to read is yeah. a very good thing. Yeah, but it got them to read other books, too. Yeah. Because okay. they read that one and enjoyed yeah. it. So we're running out of time. Yes. Um, let's let's pick a book from the charts. It seems to be separate anyway, though, because it's going to be passed on or whatever. Yeah. So I'm going to give it some time. Yeah. So you want to do like the outro and then we'll okay. Oh, and then we'll pick a book or do that separately. How does he do the outro? Well, thank you for listening. This has been a very productive episode and very productive discussion of these books. Um, for next time, we will be. We will let you know. We will, we will let you know what book. Um, but as always, thank you for listening. We can only do this with your support, and we very much appreciate that. And Destiny Comics and all that. Blah, blah, and blah, Destiny right. Comics <laughs> and all that. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay, Luke, you want to. Holden's a jerk. <laughs> the book okay, that we um, will be reading next time is A is for Alibi by Sue Grafton. All right. Woo! It better not suck. <laughs> Hey there, people of the interwebs. Uh, hope you enjoyed that uh, incredible discussion and episode about censorship and banned books. And uh, I, I hope you weren't too offended by the subject matter. Um, with that said, uh, next month uh, the, the, the book that we'll be discussing is uh, A is for Alibi by... Uh, uh, Sue Grifton. It's uh, part of the Alphabet series. Um, Sue Griffin in the early 80s started this uh, murder mystery series um, whereas A for Alibi um, and then she went down the alphabet to like B is for burglar, C is for corpse, E is for evidence, D is for deadbeat, uh, L is for lawless, and she went all the way through the alph- alphabet. 
and as of I believe a year ago or two years ago, she finished it. She boom twenty uh, was it twenty four. Um, 24 titles, 26 titles. Um, yeah, but she she completed the uh, the uh, the alphabet series. Um, I don't know if she actually did Z. I think the last one I'm seeing is Sue Griffin X, which uh, um, I think we joke. Uh, a little bit during this, uh, the next episode about how come she didn't do uh, Z is for Xanax or, or something of that effect. But, um, yeah, there you have it. Sue uh, Grifton, the uh, A is for Alibi, the Alphabet series. Um, hope this episode wasn't too out of the realm of normal uh, for you guys. Um but, uh, yeah, we're back on track, and uh, the Alphabet series is next month. Hopefully I'll get that up at the beginning of next month. I know um, this one comes up at the end of, of the month, and and uh, I'm sorry about that. But, uh, hey, it's a one-man operation here, or at least on the editing, uploading side. And, uh, you know... Um, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. If you want to go to the Patreon and support us, and, uh, you know, maybe those episodes will start coming out more regularly. So uh, thank you so much. Have a, a, a great um, weekend or month or week or day or whatever it is. Um, uh, I, I just uh, thank you for your support. Uh, it means a lot to little garage operations like this. So please like and subscribe and and uh, comment. Uh, believe me, uh, been doing this for almost a year now. I don't think I've seen one comment on iTunes. So um, I think about a year and a half, almost two years. So uh, you know, you if if you you want to comment, we'll we'll read it. Uh, on the next episode, I guarantee it. So, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for your support. And, uh, you know, ha ha have a good one.